0: Well, welcome everyone to another edition of Troy, t- Troy Talks. Uh, I want to thank you for uh, always listening in, always supporting, always downloading, and sharing and subscribing uh, to these podcast interviews. Uh, today, I have a, another special guest. Y'all know my guests are all special to me. Uh, I mm-hmm. handpicked them. Uh, very selective on who uh, that I bring uh, on my show. But let me give you a little uh, background about our our current uh, guest today. Uh, She watched uh, her 44-year-old husband take his last breath. During his illness and after his death, she was amazed by the helpful ways their coworkers, bosses, friends, and family supported them. So Kim started I gave you her name, uh, calling uh, their kind actions and acts of love. Uh, After the death of her husband, uh, uh, HR leader, she noticed that managers received no guidance when navigating uh, uh, cancer or death on their teams, huge. Uh, She saw how their lack of helpful tools and guidance was very costly. It negatively affected uh, employee engagement, increased turnover rates and lower productivity. Uh, She set out to change that. Hey, look, an agent of change, combining a personal experience with a professional knowledge and leadership, she launched 100 Acts of Love. It's a consultancy that provides tools to help leaders increase team productivity, trust, and engagement when cancer affects the whole team member. She's also the author of 100 Acts of Love, a girlfriend's guide to loving your friend through cancer or loss, an easy-to-read book filled with 100 practical Quick and effective ways to support an employee, a friend, or a coworker. She's an uh, HR consultant and sought-after public speaker who lives in uh, Los Angeles, where she tries not to bother her relatively well-behaved college-age children. I want to present to some and introduce, introduce to others. Kim Hamer. Kim, thank you for being here. Uh, well,
1: Troy, thanks for having me. You're it's welcome great to be here.
0: Like yes, yes. So for those that that don't know, uh, Kim and I we connected sometime early part of last year. Uh, And uh, we had, I do a pre-interview. And so we had a pre-interview and then just life happens. And then I reached out, hey, Kim, I still want to do that uh, podcast interview with you. And so uh, we scheduled it, you know, for this year. Uh, But Kim, I mean, uh, the story, you know, grief, it's it's, it's something that there's no manual for, you know, because everybody everybody is different. Everybody process grief different. I think where most people miss it, grief is a process. Mm-hmm. It's not an event, it's a process. And you have to go through the process. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. You know, what did you learn through your process of grief and then how you are helping others through that?
1: Oh, that's a great question, Troy. I think the main thing that I learned is, um, actually, how to be resilient. And what I mean by that is how to really struggle and feel like there's just no way out and allowing the bottom to kind of fall out and then to have the faith, you know, whether it's in God or yourself or whatever, that you're going to stand again and climbing back up. It's not a bounce back. I think sometimes people think resilience is like, oh, I got knocked down, now I'm going to get back up. Um it's it, it's not it's not that. It is just having the faith that you can, um get back up from this difficulty. You know, losing my husband, he was 44 years old and I do feel uh you know, I know I talk about in the in the bio about I got to watch him take his last breath and mm-hmm. as horrific as it sounds to so many people, I am so grateful that I was able to do that and I really feel like that was his last greatest gift to me, um to be able to kind of usher him out of this world. Um And from there, I mean, I learned, you know, I learned that some people just don't know what to say or what to do. So they back away. Some people don't know what to say or what to do. So they lean in. Some people seem to know exactly what to say or what to do. Um, grief is not over in three months. A lot of times when someone in the community dies, people are in there, they're helping, they're all in their face for three months. And then slowly people start to dissipate. I mean, start to leave. And, you know, six months is only a handful of people at a year. You're lucky if you have a a person around. Um, I learned that for me, grief in the second year was way challenging. In the first year, I was always focused on getting past the firsts. So it was his birthday, the first father's day, the first mother's day, all the kids' first birthdays. first first anniversary, first wedding anniversary. So I was so focused on getting past the first, as are so many people, that when the second came, I was blown away because there's a whole different mentality that you come, that you um, experience when it's the second year. And I think what I really learned, and I probably will repeat this throughout this podcast, is, how much a person matters to another person when they're in grief or in, you know, in need of support, and I think we undervalue, we don't value who we are to our friends, to our coworkers, to even our bosses, to the people we manage, um, and so we 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 often don't have that. We because we don't value that, we can't. We don't often find the courage to show up and be who we are and what we can do.
0: In these horrific situations. Now, Kim, I take notes because I wanna it's so much in here. This this 35 <laughs> to 45 minutes is not gonna be enough.
1: Probably be. not gonna be enough exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but a couple of things I want you to elaborate on. But first I wanna say this. Uh I remember someone said, um, they said this, uh, I can't remember the, the exact wording, but they said after the funeral, after the repast, if a person had a repast, a funeral, funeral, whatever, and then probably 30 days later, a person is really lonely and nobody really remembers. Everybody moves on with their lives. Exactly. So one of the things that I've done, so, so I'll tell you a little bit what I do. So one of the things that I do uh, is on, it's on social media. And it could be somebody, even non-social media, but but even social media, when people have a, a death, let's take like my Facebook. Mm-hmm. I'll reach out to them and say, hey, look, my prayer and, and condolences.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then uh, I'll ask, hey, can I get a personal, um, can I get your uh, mailing address? Mm-hmm. And then what I'll do is I'll create a personalized card and if they posted some pictures of that loved one, I'll put the pictures in the card and I'll send right. it out. Now, what I've also done, which to what you said, so so I've created a 90-day, a car to go out, a six-month, a car to go out.
1: Oh, Troy, I'm loving you right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then a, a one-year, 365-day car to let them know yep. that somebody's still thinking about them because I know the process is going through. Uh, and, exactly. And, and so to your point, uh, it's that grieving process that, that, that we don't realize we we all grieve differently. For, for an example, when my mom passed in 14, uh, <clears throat> I'm in Pensacola. My mom is in, uh, my mom lived in, I'm from Nashville originally, and I would go home a lot. So I remember my mom passed in 14, April of 14. I didn't go back to Nashville it was around uh, November of 2015. My Mm -hmm. dad's still there, I got a brother there, I got a sister, got aunts, cousins, friends, family. We had a, our church had a district uh, meeting in Huntsville, Alabama, which is about an hour, hour and 15 minutes away. And I said, I'm gonna go home. And uh, I knew that I had went through the grieving process because I was excited to go home. I didn't know it. I I realized it, 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 you know, at first I really wasn't thinking about it, but I realized I went through the grieving process because I was so excited to go home, but I hadn't been back, hadn't hadn't been home since April of 2014. And I may well go once or twice a year to see my mom. And then I went through the process. So everybody grieved differently. This time, it was a little bit over a year, but on Mm -hmm. average a year. Mm -hmm. So a point I want you to really elaborate on Number one, you said uh, resilience is allowing the bottom to fall out. So people think you you bounce. Is that go back to allowing? It's just not a bounce back. Does that go back to there? There's a process. Is that, yeah, that
1: go- I mean, I, I remember after my husband died. I did two specific things. One, I started counting days Mm -hmm. and people were like, why are you counting days? Like, that seems really morose. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is day 15 since he's been gone, day 16. Mm -hmm. And I counted days because I knew that at some point I would get to a day where I wouldn't miss him so much, where maybe I wouldn't cry, Mm -hmm. where it wouldn't hurt as bad. I didn't know what day that was going to be right? I didn't know it was going to be 365, 366, 1,224, 10,062. I had no idea, but I had the notion that at some point I would count the day and I wouldn't burst out in tears that he was gone. The other thing that I did was, you know, the saying, put one foot in front of the other. Mm -hmm. I often tell, you know, young widows and by young widows, I mean, people who are newly widowed. It's a pinky toe in front of the other. Like, Mm -hmm. we're not talking about giant steps forward. We are talking about taking a small pinky toe, one pinky toe, a millimeter, you know, a tiny, tiny little millimeter, Mm -hmm. smaller than an inch in front of the other pinky toe. And, you know, and there were days where I backslid. There were days where I was like, oh, there goes minus five millimeters, right? There's five <laughs> minus five minus five pinky toes. Um, but to really kind of always focus, I remember, you know, getting up and there's always that sweet spot in the morning, west, right uh, early on when someone dies, mm-hmm. where you're waking up and you forget, right? There's There's not, you're not quite, you're all sort of awake, but you're not quite in the world mm-hmm. awake. Mm-hmm. And there's always that sweet spot and then it hits you, right? So you go, oh God. Like I just, I have to face this day without this person. And I remember thinking, okay, what you're up. What's the next thing you do? Well, you probably put your feet on the floor. Okay, Mm -hmm. good. Now what do you need to do? Well, bathroom is calling. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. And then now what do you need to do? I feel like I should probably brush my teeth. Okay, great, brush your teeth, right? And now what do you think you should do? Well, oh gosh, it's it's already seven o'clock. I got to get the kids up for school. So it's literally taking it one step at a time. And that's and that's really what I mean by the, the, the resilience. I guess another way to define it is having the faith, mm-hmm. the idea, the notion that at some point you're going to be at a better place. You just don't know when and you don't know how you're going to get there.
0: You know, he, here's what, what really is amazing me about your story you are dealing with uh and experiencing gratitude and grief at the same time
1: yes (laughs) yes yes yeah that was a surprise for me too (laughs) yeah
0: and i'm sure that's a that's a emotional roller coaster
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, when we think about death, we have some very clear stereotypes of what death is. And Mm -hmm. unless we've experienced ourselves, Mm -hmm. we get our ideas from TV. Right. Mm -hmm. So death is, you know, when you think about a widow, it's the woman who's crying at the grave site. Mm -hmm. She's, she's, you know, she's just sitting in a room, not doing anything. Mm -hmm. She's just, she's not functioning. People are now buzzing around her being concerned, you know, or she's the one who loses her temper. So those are sort of the very narrow ideas we have of Mm -hmm. death. Mm -hmm. And what we don't have of death is the you're right. Especially when you have a community there is, you know, I was grateful. Like I said, I was grateful. My husband just allowed me to be there. He could Mm -hmm. have, I could have walked out the room for my, one of my five minute walks and he could have chosen to go right Mm -hmm. then. Right. But he, you know, and so it's, it, it, you know, the people who showed up, the people who kept trying to show up, I, I I was so blown away. So here I was having this horrific experience of loss and grief and, you know, how am I going to parent these children on my own? This was not part of the plan. Um, to dinners kept coming and, you know, my kids got to go to Disneyland five times, each of them five times in one year because people kept taking them and people would call from across the country and leave me a joke on my answering machine. And, you know, all of a sudden my lawn was being mowed and I didn't even know that he was coming that day and I hadn't Mm -hmm. paid a bill in a month. And so all those things, there is a great amount of gratitude that occurs um, if you're open to it. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I also don't want people... Thinking that if they're grieving and they're not feeling gratitude, they're doing it wrong because there were plenty of days I was pissed. Yeah. There were plenty of days I was resentful. There were plenty of days I was like, I don't care that it is another great lasagna. I don't want your freaking lasagna because it <laughs> means that my husband's dead. Yeah. Right. So yeah. so there were days that were very challenging. But in the end, especially in you know, in hindsight, it was an incredible, it was an
0: incredible time. How do you how do you get yourself up it, and it's different like you know my mom passed it, it is different with with the with the spouse so how do you get up and motivate yourself and be strong when you have children because they still and your children were were they were they weren't adults right no
1: they were 12 9 and 7 so so and how do you young.
0: how do you motivate yourself doing this to help get enough strength just for yourself to make sure your children are are, are, are going. How how do you do that? Troy,
1: I'm I'm laughing because I wish I knew. (laughs) 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 I honestly don't know how I did it. I really, really don't. It was just kind of like they had to get to school. Right. And, yeah. and people were, I think, I think it was more sometimes it's about the community. Cause I knew someone was going to come pick them up. yeah And so I knew I had to have them ready for that person to pick them up. So mm-hmm. that was sort of the anchor of the day. Right. But there were days that, um, you know, they came home and I was like, I would call a neighbor and say, you just need to take them. Can you come, yeah. come get them and the extra food and just, I need a few more hours. You know, mm-hmm. there were days where I cried through dinner. You know, yeah. there, one of the things that my husband and I art and I very much believed in is calling a spade a spade. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when, um, when he was dying, I brought the kids into the hospital. He was unconscious at this time. And I said, you know, your father is dying mm-hmm. and he's not going to come home. Mm-hmm. Would you like to go in and say goodbye? Mm-hmm. Right. So I gave them the the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, we also didn't give them too much truth because when mm-hmm. the cancer, you know, we didn't realize even that, that the kids, when you think about children and cancer, some kids have experience with cancer like mine, mm-hmm. but other kids, my kids didn't have experience with cancer. So they had no idea that their father could die. It didn't no. dawn on them that that could happen. Yeah. Um, So I don't, I honestly really don't know how I did it. I think it really was back down to the pinky toe in front of the pinky toe. And I also think there was a level of, of some freedom of judgment. Mm -hmm. So I had to let myself off the hook. And a lot of the time it came retrospectively. So I wasn't Mm -hmm. letting myself off the hook in the moment, but there Mm -hmm. was There was a time, you know, afterwards I was like, you know what? You are grieving. Your husband's not here. Your Mm -hmm. brain's not functioning the way it normally functions. Your reaction is normal. It's not great. It's not pleasing to look at. It's not pretty, but it is normal. Mm -hmm. And so giving myself that um, was really important. I also thought it was important that my kids see me grieve Mm -hmm. um, because I don't, because how else are they going to learn what resilient looks like? Mm right? Because in the moment, it's very scary for them, for sure. And that's really hard, because they don't know that it's going to end, they don't know that it's not going to last forever. But you know, now my kids, my my kids, you know, call me strong and resilient, and, Mm -hmm. you know, an inspiration. And I, I firmly believe it's because they watch me go really, really low, and then they watch me crawl back up with the support of our communities.
0: And, you know, you know, my thinking, you know, when you're experiencing this, Um, who minister to the kids, they're grieving also, you don't have the strength to minister to the kids because you're grieving. So grieving and grieving, you know, it's somebody got to be that strength, you know, in in that that situation. And so, so sometimes we forget about the children that they also,
1: you know, dealing with emotions
0: and stuff, and they're not uh, adult enough to really understand what's happening, you know, sometimes. So, right.
1: Right. Well, so here's an interesting thing. So a couple of things. Um, When my husband first died, I sought out a grief counselor and she Mm -hmm. was like, one, you're too early. Like you're still in crisis mode. You're really not going to do any good. But one of the things she said to me was that, as the kids get older their grief is going to be very intense and just like back to normal around certain events mm-hmm. because when you when you heard or when the audience heard that my husband died and the kids were 12, 9 and 7 we automatically shuffle through things that they, that they're going to miss right we mm-hmm. knew that my husband was going to miss graduations we know mm-hmm. that my husband's going to miss marriages and birth of his grandkids and his mm-hmm. grandchildren so we all know that mm-hmm. but kids don't know that's coming yeah. True. And so I remember, you know, my daughter was nine and I thought it was one of these little thoughts. I thought she's going to miss her double digit birthday, her very mm-hmm. first double digit birthday. Mm-hmm. And she came to me two weeks before she turned 10 hysterically crying because he was going to miss her double digit birthday. Mm-hmm. So kids experience the, the trauma again until they're old enough to really understand, oh, he's going to miss. My graduation from college. He's going mm-hmm. to miss my graduation from, from you know, uh, master school, whatever it is, um, mm-hmm. from you know, from grad school um there's that piece and the other thing i learned is that up until the age of seven kids don't understand that death is permanent so i've i've seen this a lot where parents get very upset with their four and five-year-old asking when the person is going to come back Mm -hmm. and they get really mad at them like he's dead he's not coming back but kids don't understand that that line of permanency yep i think the other thing i did um that i i I, you know, I, I believe very much in support groups because I think it's really, uh, although people sometimes think, well, why are you going to do sit around and talk about the, the, you know, just sit around and mull over your grief. And that's not what a support group does. Um, and so Mike, you know, we live in Los Angeles and we are lucky and I'm lucky. And I'm also horrified enough that we have each of my kids had their own grief support group mm-hmm. by a company, by an organization called our house grief support here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So, they all were in groups with kids their own ages who had lost somebody significant to them. So it could have been a brother, it could have been a mother, a father, you know, a grandmother, an uncle, someone who was they were very close to. And I think that helped my children. That helped really normalize grief for mm-hmm. them, and also help them understand that they're not alone. They're not the only kids because in our circle, they were the only. There was one yeah. other child who had who had lost a parent, but everyone else had parents.
0: Right. Right. I want to shift the conversation a little bit about mm-hmm. the because the, your birth out of the 100 acts of love was the support that you got while going through. Yes. Elaborate and tell us more about that that really it opened up now but b- before you cover that l- let me ask you why do you think people don't know what to say?
1: That's a great question. I still haven't figured that one out. I think part of it comes from the fact that we, as Western developed societies, and those are the only I only know this because I've spoken to people in Europe and mm-hmm. some people in, um, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, um, have this desire to fix. That's true. We want to make it better.
0: That's true. And it's
1: you know it's very prominent and in it, the U.S.
0: and especially men.
1: Yes. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. My, my wife yep, called yep, exactly. me today.
0: My wife called me today and she was explaining to, to me her issue. And, and, and I, I understand that I can't fix it. She just needs to right. vent. And so, yep. but, but I had to really hold myself back. Now I've been, you know, yes. in years, I think yes, I learned this yes. 10 years into our marriage. We're going on 32 yep. now. And, and Good. I, well,
1: that's, <laughs> that, that's why you're going on 32. Too, right? <laughs> yes.
0: So, <laughs> so. so so she just needed needed to vent you know she she didn't yeah. want it to fix but yeah great point yeah yeah
1: yeah, I, I think that's the number one reason. And what mm-hmm. I always say to people is there's a phrase, I, there's two things I always say, make sure you say something, because a lot of people don't say anything. <laughs> and they say it based out of their own embarrassment. So they turn the statements on I, I'm worried I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm worried I'm going to get them upset. I'm worried I'm going to embarrass myself, right? So it's all about you, the person, and not about Ooh, them. I love that. So make that. sure that you say something. Yeah. The second thing I always tell everyone not to say, and I'm sure many of your audience members are at first going to disagree with me, but it, it is don't say, if you need anything, let me know, or call me if you need anything or any variation of that. And there are three specific reasons for this. One, I just like to use an example. Let's say you just had a baby. You just got married. You just got a new car. You're like, you're just something really great. You just got another grandchild or your first grandchild, something, you just want a great vacation, something great has happened to you. And you go to lunch with five other people who all know about this great thing. And you're sitting there for an hour and a half and no one says anything right? You feel mm-hmm. unseen. You're angry. You're kind of like, I, you know, like no one wants to talk about this. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone knows it's great. No one cares. You feel like no one cares. Mm-hmm. The same thing is true. When you, when you are going through a tragedy, we all need to be witnessed. It's mm-hmm. part of our DNA. It's part mm-hmm. of our sanity. We need someone to say, holy hell, that stinks, Like, Mm -hmm. I cannot believe this is happening or I'm so sorry, Mm -hmm. right? We need that Mm acknowledgement. So that phrase doesn't acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. What that phrase does is it immediately goes into action, but not in the really specific way. So the second reason that phrase is not a great phrase is, Troy, what is anything? Like, you'll do anything? Well, does that mean Mm -hmm. you're going to take your brand new, just cleaned BMW up to the preschool to pick up my vomiting four-year-old? Or did you mean that you drop off a bottle of wine or dinner, Mm -hmm. right? Anything is too big a word. Exactly. And when we say it, we mean it. We really like when I say to people, I was like, if you need, you know, some sort of caviar from Russia, I will find a ticket and get to Russia. Mm -hmm. We mean it in the moment. But then we go back to our regular lives. When we realize, well, I can't go to Russia to get that cat here. Mm-hmm. That's not yeah. going to work. Like, I can't right. afford that. I can't, you know, right. I don't know what I'm doing. So we say anything and it's just too big. It's too big for the for you to, for. And and then you put the, so the third reason is you now you put the pressure on the person who's already in the difficulty to figure out what you mean by anything. So you're asking them to take apart their day. You're asking them to figure out what's a what's a reasonable ask, mm-hmm. right? What's a reasonable ask? And when you're in crisis, that's really hard to do. And then the fourth reason it's not helpful is because now you're asking someone who's vulnerable to do something that most of us are not good at, and that is ask for help. Mm-hmm. So I don't know you that, let's say, Troy, you know, you and I are really, really good friends, you know, maybe our husbands and wife, we, we just, you know, great couple mm-hmm. friends and my husband dies and you call and, and I know that you like, you know, you, you've come over a few times and mm-hmm. and and rate the leaves of our lawn. And so you say, is there anything I can do? I said, yeah, can you continue taking care of the lawn? You like, mm-hmm. you got it. So that's something because you and I are friends and you've mm-hmm. done this before. And so that's something that's an easy ask for me to ask mm-hmm. you to do. Most of us don't have those kind of relationships, those close relationships in our lives. And for those who are saying this, we don't always have that. You know, you know, you say it at work. You could say it to the mailman. You know, mm-hmm. whatever. So it's you have to be specific about what it is you can do. Mm-hmm. And what I like to say is, we all have special helping superpowers. And um, so get specific. Um, so honor honor the loss. Right. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. This really, you know, holy hell is one of my favorite sayings. Um, you know, and then and then get specific about what you will are willing to do and then offer more than once because that grieving person is grieving and they're not going to remember that you offered. So don't assume just because you offered it once that they didn't want it because they didn't call you. You're going to have to offer more than once. And when you do this, you're setting up the receiver, the person who needs the support for two great things. One, you are reminding them that you are there for this thing. So you're saying I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. They have plenty of other people in their lives who are always saying, "If you need anything, let me know." Then sort of disappear. Mm -hmm. So you are continually showing up for them. The second thing is you're letting them know, obviously, what you what you're willing to do for them. And oftentimes, what you're doing is you're bringing them a level of comfort. And I think we underestimate what a level, you know, the power of a level of comfort when you are dealing with a tragedy in your life
0: this is huge. This is, uh, uh, these are actionable insights, uh, tips, uh, wisdom, uh, here now. 100 acts of love. Talk about that because I think this came from people that know what to do. So you came up with, uh, practical things that people could do. To help yes. a person grieving. So let's talk about that.
1: Yes. So a couple of years after my husband died, I, I, you know, I'm going to be really honest here. I was really resentful of the people who didn't show up and I was really resentful of the people who did the wrong things for us. Just mad. Uh-huh. And it took me a couple of years to work through it. And what I realized, which is often the case when you're really mad at someone, they're doing something that you do or that you don't know how to do either. So I realized I, I I was saying the wrong thing to everybody before my husband got sick. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. And then I just got this soft spot. I thought, you know, I am doing okay, not because I'm really strong, but because I have a I was, you know, poured a new foundation and that foundation was made of support for people who just showed up for my husband, myself and our children. And so, um, I, I, I think, you know, I, I wanted, I wanted people to know how important they were. That's mm-hmm. really what it all came down to. So that's how I, that's how I got to write the book was I wanted it to be a hundred really quick and easy things for people to do. When I thought about helping before my husband died, I thought like, I can't help because I can't cook meals every Monday for six weeks, mm-hmm. but that's not what, you know, the smallest acts that people did for us. Um, I got, I was keeping a blog at a time and I left my address in the blog and and this woman was so moved by what I was doing that she sent. It was no return address. All I know is that her name is Leah. Um, she sent me this really moving note, and she sent ten dollars. I mean, ten dollars—it's nothing. But I'm talking about it, literally 13 years later. Like that's how that's how moving it was for me. So I I I wanted people to know. Look, you don't have to take a deep dive into the person's life. You can offer to get them a gas card or to take their car and fill it with gas. You know, the next time you're at the grocery store, you can call them up and say, I am at the grocery store. Please give me a list of five things that you are almost out of right now. And then here's the caveat, what you say on top of that is I will drop them off at your door and leave. So you're not going to have conversation with them. You're not going to ask them how they're doing. You're just going to be like, here's your groceries. I love you. God bless you. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. Um, So doing those small things. So that's what I wanted people to know. And then, you know, as I, as my bio said, I went back into work and I went back into HR and my very first job was working for a man uh, who was a president of the company and his wife died. Oh, and wow. I thought that the, I thought the company would like do, I thought the company would do things mm-hmm. and they didn't do anything. And it's not because they didn't want to, it's because they didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, you had a president of an organization who came back to work about three weeks after his wife died and he was not all there. Yeah. And his team was having a really hard time working with him. His CEO, there's a CEO of the, the, the international company was having a hard time working with him. I mean, there was so much going on. And it's simply because nobody took the time to talk to the team. No one took the time to talk to the CEO because no one knew what to do. And so that's when I set out, I I put together this, uh, what I call the North Star strategy. And it's five really, not simple steps, but five things you work through when you are, when you have an employee who is, you know, who has died, is dealing with cancer or loss that so that you and the team and the employee can, can really show compassion and empathy. And at the same time, get work done. Because just because that employee died or just because that employee's partner died doesn't mean that you can say to your boss, okay, hey, yeah, we're hey, we're gonna hold on for a month, we're gonna let them mourn and grieve and then and then we'll get back to work. You know, work doesn't stop for that. So how do you manage that? And I think that's something that um, yeah, that just doesn't a lot of people don't put any thought into and it has a great impact on on teams and on businesses and on humans.
0: And you mentioned those five things.
1: Yes, yes. So the five (laughs) things are first thing is, which I just told you all to say something. So say something to Mm -hmm. the employee. The second thing is actually a little little different. It is deal with your feelings and deal with your stereotypes. So we all have feelings around death. Death Mm -hmm. scares most of us right? We're not, we're, not, yeah. we're not openly having conversations about when we're going to die and what we're going to do and how it's going to be. Um, so death scares most of us. So it, you really have to have, you have to get your own feelings about the loss out. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be the only time you're going to feel that way about your employee or friend, but you need to get them out. And then I recommend that you deal with your own stereotypes, which we talked about sooner, right? So the stereotype is grieving person needs lots and lots of attention. And then it, it, they, they look fine, they look mm-hmm. fine, so they're fine, right? So that's the stereotype. So just being really clear on the stereotypes that you hold in your head, and so that leads us to step number three, which assessing, which is assessing the situation. So if you're an organ, if you're a manager, you want to look at what it- what was this employee who died doing? Mm-hmm. Um, what were they working on? Where were they on the projects? You want to get as much of a handle on that as possible. Who else on the team can do it? So you're really assessing, and then you're also looking at how can we support the family. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do as an organization to support the family? And maybe you're looking at, what are we going to do as an organization? Because this is not going to be the first death that we've had. How are we going to change the way that we do death in this company? Mm -hmm. So you're looking at that whole picture. And then comes the good part. The good part is step number four, where you get to take thoughtful action. So the thoughtful action can be, you know, the team, everybody wants to make sure that the kids have school supplies Mm -hmm. um, and clothes. So the thoughtful action is the team's going to get together and they're going to put, they're going to buy stuff for the, for the, for the family and send them off. Um, It could be making sure that an anniversary card goes out at the end at the one year mark. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the action. The other action can be something simple as a communication plan. So being really clear with the rest of the company, we are going to hold a memorial service for, for Bob on Tuesday at 1.30. Please do not schedule any meetings. We would like everyone to attend if you are able. This is the structure of the meeting to since Bob has died, you know, these are the people who are going to be taking over these, these things. So it's it's some of it is very common sense and some of it is just sort of like, right, someone needs to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that piece and it, and it includes putting together a work plan. So if you have an employee who, who has lost a partner or a child, you need to put together a work plan for them because they're not going to be able to come back to work full steam. And if you don't have those honest conversations with them, you are going to feel resentful about the work you think they should be accomplishing, even though their child or partner has died. Mm-hmm. So getting really clear on the expectations and then also p- provides a foundation for that employee and for the team. And then the last one is you know, reflect and respond. So it's really about taking a look at You know, I'd love to think that after you all hear me, you're all going to say the right thing all the time. And unfortunately, it's not going to be true. (laughs) True. I sometimes say the wrong thing, Mm -hmm. even though, you know, this is my field. So what I, you know, I get to reflect and I get to go back and I get to say to somebody, I'm really sorry that I said that. That is not what I meant. What I meant to say was this you know, and just kind of making amends so that they know that I have their, that I'm thinking about them, that I still remember their loss and haven't ignored it. And that I feel like I can live cleanly. It's sort of like um, confessing. Right. Mm-hmm. It's 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 along those same lines. You know, confess your sins. God is faithful and just and will forgive you your sin, right? Forgive you, right. um, forgive you your sins. Right. So, so it's it's very much the same thing. It's confessing, it's saying, look, I made a mistake, I'm so sorry, but I'm here, I'm back, and I want to try again. So it's having that reflection on the personal level, on the on the manager level, it's it's a constant reflection. What mm-hmm. is working, what is not working, how do we make this better? What can we do? On the organizational level, it's 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 very much the same thing. Um, so it's taking the time to just take that moment to reflect back and understand where you've been, what you can improve on, and then moving forward again.
0: Wow. You, you know, uh, th- this is just great. I mean, this great practical uh, tips and strategies. And one one of the things you, may, you made me think about something you said earlier, uh, and, and people say, you know, uh, I don't know what to say. I may say the wrong thing. Uh, it's really a form of selfishness, you know, you know, it, it, same thing I tell yes. people about uh, many times when you, you explain to somebody about, you know, speaking in public, one of the greatest fear of most people, and people said, well, I'm afraid I may, I may trip, I may mess up, or whatever case, and I remember, uh, so I remember reading a story, and it was a, uh, it was a guy, he was a minister, and they were two ministers at this conference, and the one minister leaned over to the. He said, it "Was a it was a big conference." He said, "One minister." He leaned over to the other minister, to say, uh, "I'm I'm nervous. I'm a little afraid." He said, "What about you?" And he said, "A minister leaned back to him, and said." take your mind off yourself and focus on ministering to the people.
1: Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And that's the thing. That's what connects us in our communities. We're all out there looking for connection. Mm -hmm. And that connection actually starts with us Taking the focus off of ourselves mm-hmm. and figuring out how we can help somebody else. Yeah. I mean, that's the major piece. Yeah. I love that story. It's so yeah. true. You know, everyone's afraid of speaking. Most people are afraid of speaking. I still yeah. get nervous when I speak, mm-hmm. but I, <laughs> I have, I have, ready to go. And we both have the faith that what we're going to share, some little inkling is going to help hit somebody. somebody. Yeah. Uh, yep. One person is yeah. going to walk away with, I'm going to remember that. And they're going to mm-hmm. remember it for the rest of their lives. So yeah. they're going to tell the story just like like you just told yeah. the story, like that yeah. story is living on and on mm-hmm. and on. Um, so yes, that's exactly it. Take the focus off of you. Their crisis
0: mm-hmm.
1: is not about you.
0: Say that again. I want the people Their in the back crisis, yeah, exactly. Their <laughs>
1: crisis is not about you. And I think that we lose sight of that when we're focused on being so fearful. Mm-hmm. Helping somebody takes courage. It's not something that we're kind of like, yeah, I can automatically do it. It takes courage because you're right. you might make a mistake. true. You might do the wrong thing for them. Yeah. you might say the wrong thing. But in doing that, you're at least putting forth effort. yeah, and you're making you're you're signaling to the person who's in crisis, you are important enough that I want to bring you some peace and maybe I'm doing it the wrong way, but you know, damn nabbit, I'm going to try it again and again and again.
0: And maybe when they went through the process, they will see, even though you made the mistake, you put forth the effort and they'll even be, you know, Exactly.
1: Yeah. And that's yeah. you know that's very true. I mean, there was an instance where someone didn't do something that was very helpful, but they but they you know, they made the effort. They really tried, and I could yeah. see that they really tried. Mm-hmm. Um and that, you know, that's 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 the that's the base is that you tried, you know, but
0: well, let me throw um, something else out here. Mm-hmm. So, what if you do something wrong or say something wrong and the person get upset and get emotional? Then would we be selfish if we take it personal?
1: Ooh, Troy, good question. Let me pull on my psychologist hat. <laughs> um, so I think there's there's a really good book out there called The Four Agreements by um, Gabrielle Ruiz. I think it's I think it is. I've heard of it. And yeah, and one of the one of the four agreements is you don't take it personally. And he, I remember having a really hard time grasping this. He said, someone can come up and shoot you in the head and it's not about you. And I was like, that's baloney. <laughs> but his point was people come with a whole load of preloaded ideas and notions and thoughts. And what we say may have triggered those ideas, notions, and thoughts, mm-hmm. but it's not about you. And it took me a while to wrap my head around it. And still, you know, it's the difference between taking action and reacting. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's, I still have, you know, people who push our buttons, our children, my daughter will say something and I will just immediately you know fly off the handle and stop myself no. mid-handle be like okay wait I'm sorry right right yeah. you know <laughs> um, because I realize she's coming to me frustrated with her day frustrated that I didn't do something that I said I was going to do for yeah. or for whatever frustrated and whatever and the tone is coming out mm-hmm. you know and she's she may not be aware of it so it's not it's not personal to me mm-hmm. it's personal to her so the, the that was a very long way to answer the, the story yeah it's not you it's, they can be mad at you and they, you may feel like you're the target because they may say you're an idiot or you mm-hmm. shouldn't have done that or how dare you, but it's not about you. It is grief is it's very, or any type of grief is it's very, it really is an animal. It messes with your brain. You are not functioning. Um, And so what, what comes out of people's mouths when they are grieving, especially in the first six to seven months, you kind of, kind of all take it. With you know, swallow it with a pill because it's just, it's it's not really who they are.
0: You know, uh, one thing that I learned, because uh, you know I'm a student, and so everybody has loss. Mm-hmm. So uh, a death uh, is a, is a, is a loss. You know, when you lose a mm-hmm. loved one, but also uh, for for people. It's, it, you deal with grief when the children move out. Yep. You become an em- empty nester. A, yep. person, a person that has a divorce, and some people say a divorce is even tougher because you're going to always have an association with that person, especially if you have children. Um, right, right. What was the other one? Uh, losing a job. Oh.
1: Anything losing a job, moving yeah. to another city. I mean, you're losing a pet. A pet, you man. know. We I, often have people. Cars, fe- you know,
0: I've sent cards to people I'm who lost. I'm so a pet.
1: glad to hear that. Yeah.
0: yeah. and I didn't realize how important to some pets was. Some years ago, one of the church members they lost a, a, a dog. I think he got hit in the street, and right. and they were whole, they were boo-hooing in the street, and I didn't realize how people love their pets so much until I've seen seen that experience. And so all these are losses and it's a part of grief. And we have to be able to help people and deal with people because it affects everybody else differently. Now for me, uh, a a pet, I don't have a pet, so it it, it doesn't bother me, but somebody else, I've got to realize that, that that's a loss for them.
1: Right. And that's that's the piece of compassion that is really important. Right. Just because especially if you're a manager or your friend, just because your partner didn't die. Yeah. Doesn't mean that you get to say, oh, I don't understand what this is like, because yeah. we can all touch in a little bit on the flip side. You know, your goldfish dying or I remember someone saying to me, I know how you feel. I was I had a really difficult divorce and I thought, hmm, divorce mm-hmm. and death, not necessarily equal. That was my initial thought. Five years later, I understood. Right, yeah. I understand what what she meant, and she yeah. meant there is a grieving process, There's a letting go process. You know, mm-hmm. they're no longer in your life the way that you had mm-hmm. intended them to be. Yeah. All those dreams you had of being mm-hmm. married for fifty years are now gone. Right, yeah. everything is chaotic. You're not sure how this is going to work out. What's going to happen? There's still a lot of feelings there. So yeah, there are some definitely some similarities, but I think it's really it is really important, and it's hard because we don't go around saying to people, "I'm having a really tough day because I'm grieving the loss of my turtle." Mm-hmm. Right, because we're yeah. afraid the people going to be like you're a turtle yeah. but you know if if you have an open heart you can say oh my gosh i'm so sorry like when yeah. what was the turtle's name when yeah. did they die
0: mm-hmm. oh how
1: long did you have them oh what kind of turtle like there's only so many engaging questions you yeah. can ask true. that will make the person feel seen true.
0: true true um kim i've enjoyed this this has been great i, I can't oh, I'm, I'm so excited so when this come out i'm so glad troy because this is this is one of those things that uh, we all deal with in some period in life. And most of us don't know how to navigate through it. And you've given us yeah. some great tools and tips to navigate through it. Uh, I want to wrap up with uh, final thoughts, first thing, and then uh, share with the people how they can connect with you. How can they find your book uh, and, and those things?
1: Oh, great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So I think my final thought is the final thought I've had since I wrote the book. And that is you matter, you know, you person sitting in your cubicle thinking that no one at work notices you, you person who, you know, you haven't talked to your friends in 10 weeks. You're wondering why they haven't called you. I think we forget how much we matter to people. Mm -hmm. And I'm a testament to people understanding that their job was not to take away the the cancer or the grief, mm-hmm. but their job was just, just to make it just a tiny bit easier. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I stand on the back of the foundation, the new foundation for my life was built on the actions that those people took. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really one of the people to remember, you know, I know that some of us feel like, There's no way out the sadness, the, the horrible, you know, the world would be better off without, without you. And I assure you 100% that the world would not be better off without you. Um, uh, so yeah, what you do matters. Your friends really do need you and please show up, just please show up. And then where you can find me, uh, so if you go to 100actsoflove.com backslash what not to say, so all, all words, no spaces, no capitals, you can download the four other phrases, never ever to say to anybody dealing with cancer or loss or grief. And you can also, you'll also get why they're not helpful. So you'll start to understand what makes a bad phrase. And then you'll also have four, four other phrases of things to say. So that's that's my little gift to everybody. Also, if you go and sign up for that, I do monthly webinars. And so you'll get notified about the monthly free webinars that I do, where you can just hop on and listen and hear me go into much more in depth about the North Star, North, North Star strategy. Um, you can find me on Thursdays at 12 p.m., Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, um, doing LinkedIn Live. So you just go to my LinkedIn page at kimthamer.com. I'm sorry, whatever it is, you just go to LinkedIn and look up Kim Hamer, and you'll find me live there. And every week I talk about a topic. Um, Sometimes people will, you know, DM me a question, I'll answer the question. Um, This week, you know, we've just had our second set of shootings in California. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about, um, actually, I was already on a series of what happens when an employee dies. um, tomorrow we're going to talk about what happens when it's not someone you know, but the team is still sort of grieving and in shock. So how do you manage that? Um, and then lastly, you can find me at One Hundred Acts of Love on Instagram. So those are the those are the places where I where I show up the most.
0: Awesome. Well, Kim, again, I mean, just really, really, I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm, I'm glad we finally got this. Uh, I know. recorded and I know
1: uh, I am too, Troy. I shout am out too. To so my, really grateful.
0: You're welcome. shout out to my uh, my listeners. I uh, appreciate y'all. uh please when you when this episode drops, make sure you you listen, you subscribe, you download, you share, and don't forget to give us a review. We want to know uh you know, good or bad constructive criticism we will take about this interview. Uh, so I appreciate y'all. Kim again, thank you. Uh, I hope everybody have a great day and a great uh rest of their week.
1: Troy, thank you so much for this time. I really appreciate you.
0: You're welcome.